Gentlemen, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, this is has been called the parable of all parables. Uh, the paragon of all parables. Charles Dickens called it the finest short story ever written. Some would argue that's the greatest love story ever told. And so by by you know it's Father's Day. So I was thinking to myself, um, I want to speak on something about fathers, and at the same time, I don't. Because, gentlemen, I, <clears throat> I feel so unqualified to be speaking about what it's like to be a good father on Father's Day. I do have four children of my own. We have Riders, 11. My daughter, Giselle, she is nine. Kailea is seven. Kyler is 3.9. <laughs> he turns four next month. He thinks he's... He thinks he's the oldest one. Um, but it's the most gut-wrenching thing that, I, that I've ever experienced. That and marriage. I'm like, ah, man, I just don't. What's more sanctifying? And I, I, I wonder sometimes, what if fatherhood and what if parenthood, what if marriage is more about my holiness than my happiness? So with that, I got this passage, Luke chapter 15, that shows what a true father should look like and so this passage is something that i that i i desperately want to be like and even if you're not a, a father in here today some of you are some of you are, are are going to be some of you this is a very hard holiday because you, you might have suffered some abuse at the hands of your father you might not know your father you might have a great relationship with your father there might be something there where it just it, it just hits you the wrong way but what I want to do today I'm gonna to briefly go over this passage okay, in Luke chapter 15 and then I want to end with with a sheet of paper that that really shows us who God the Father is and who he isn't because I think a lot of the times that uh, when, when someone's life experience gets gets in the way of their of how they see God the Father now uh, one 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 of the authors that I, I love to read, uh, there's, there's many, but J.P. Mullen is one of them, and he was debating an atheist one time, and he just looked right across the, right across the stage, and, and he says, I, I am willing to bet that, that you are an atheist because at some point in your life, you, you wanted to kill a father figure. And this is a world-renowned atheist. Um, and it, it, it made God quiet. And it's not the case for every time, but I don't know what uh, Professor Mullen was, maybe he had heard from the Spirit, like he was confident about this, but it, but it was true. How many people that they say, uh, and we've met them all before, in, in this job that we're like, ah, I, I, don't, I don't believe in God's father. I saw a meme that said one time, it said, uh, well, how can you hate someone so much that you don't even believe exists? So something, there's something deep down in there. And, and the wounds of a father are, are heavy. But if we could redirect our attention to what a loving father looks like and clear up who the God Father, who God the Father is and who he isn't, uh, it's life-changing. So the passage we have here is Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Now, before we go into that, now, now one rule in, in hermeneutics, that's a big 50-cent word that, that we learned in seminary. It's the science of interpretation or or exegesis, right? It's, it's like the extrapolating text. 
the meaning out of the text, right? And we're not putting our meaning into it. So with that, any text without a context ain't no text. That's just this, like basic Bible study 101. Any text without the context ain't no text. So we, so when Jesus is telling his story, right? He's telling the story of the prodigal son in light of two other parables that he just told. Now let me paint the picture for you here. Imagine Jesus is hanging out, okay? And the scene is, he's around tax collectors and prostitutes. This is chapter 15, verse 1. Look at what it says there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So who are these people that Jesus is with? In the text here, tax collectors and sinners. Now, if I were to put it in the uh, the RBT, the Ryan Brand translation, it'd be these thugs, these these criminals, and sinners. Were they could be these any kind of outcast of society, whether you had some sort of ailment, whether you were known. Hey, that's that's Andrew, man. Don't don't roll with that guy. That's fierce. That's whatever. These people had reputations. Uh, prostitutes. Jesus was hanging out with these people, eating dinner with them. You know what's not impressive to me? It's not impressive to me that Jesus went out and he preached the gospel to people. That's not as impressive as these outcasts of society liked hanging out with Jesus. Yeah. That's amazing. I am, I don't know what happened to me a few years ago, but I, but I used to be a very judgmental person. And I have family members of, of other lifestyles, if you know what I mean. And I came up to some of these family members before, and I was like, hey, how can you tell me what you were going through? And, and, and one of my family members says, well, why aren't you, you're, I didn't tell you I was going through this because you're kind of judgmental. Ugh, like right through my, but I was. And there was a time in my life where I loved theology, but I didn't have love for people. And somewhere around, I don't know, just a handful of years ago, God grabbed my heart and he, he just, I felt like he gave me a new heart. Now I don't have any judgment for anybody. I don't. I, I, I used to see someone of, of another type of denomination, another type of theology, a different type of gender, a different type of preference, and I would judge them in my heart. At the same time, I'm like, hey, brother, how you, you know, Ryan, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And in my heart, I'm judging you. Don't know how to do that anymore. And what I noticed, so what started to happen in my life is people started feeling more comfortable around me. Not because I was, I was trying hard or anything. It's just in my heart, there was no more judgment for people. Um, I don't, I, I can't explain it. People started coming around. People with different lifestyles than I do started, hey, let's, let's hang out. I couldn't, I would say I, I started to become more Christ-like. <laughs> because when people walked around Jesus, they didn't, they didn't feel dirty. They didn't feel judged. When someone with a, not a, a lot of knowledge walks in the room, usually they bring that knowledge. But when someone with love comes in the room, you can feel the difference, can you? Can't you? And so that's what we want to be as believers. If we want to be Christ-like, we want to be someone when, when we walk in the room, the presence of God follows us. Man, there's something different. Something different here. That's Jesus here. And he's sitting with these people who, with, people usually don't hang out with these kind of people, but they love to hang out with Jesus. And then he told them this parable. So he sets, he sets up two parables here, briefly. There's one parable here of a lady who lost a coin. And it's super valuable to her, and she sweeps the whole house looking for it. Have you ever, ever done that? I feel like if you're a father, you, you do that all the time. <laughs> Where's my tools? Where's my just? But she sweeps the house, okay? And um, and then 
uh, verse 8 here. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses the coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just, just so I tell you that there is joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents. Okay? So, so okay. Jesus is in a room eating dinner with a bunch of people, a bunch of rejects of society. Like a bunch of like, why are you hanging out with those people? And he's, he tells a story in front of these sinners and these people. It's not really for them. It's because these religious guys over here are listening in. So he, so, and I can picture Jesus, like everybody surrounding us, uh, surrounding him and going, Jesus, because he's a good storyteller. Jesus, tell us, tell us another story. And I can picture Jesus going, you want to hear another one? This is going to get good. It's going to get better. Check this out. Um, and be, before that, I, I, okay, so the, the lady who finds the coin, well, look at before that, at the parable of the lost sheep. What man, this is verse 3, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Sounds like the song we just sang. Leaves the ninety-nine. It's kind of reckless if you ask me. Hmm. Some people would say, ah, forget that, forget that one. I mean, these sheep are worth money. So I'm sticking, nope, nope, God's like, I'm going after that one. That's how much he means, that's how much the sheep means to him. Okay, verse 5, and when he has found that lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So, Jesus told a story about one lost sheep out of 99, out of 100, one out of 100 getting lost. He told a, a parable of a coin getting lost, and the lady sweeps the house. And then he goes, hey, what? You ready for this next one? You ready for this next one? Everybody's like, yeah, what's the next one? Well, it's the parable about, in your Bibles, it might say the parable of the prodigal son. It might say the parable of the lost son. Some people would call this the parable of the lost sons. Two sons. I want to call this passage today, the sermon, the, the, the reckless love of God. In fact, I'll, I'll put it here on the screen. The reckless love of God the Father. So if you're familiar with Scripture, you're familiar with this passage, you might have the temptation to think in your mind, hmm, I wonder if I'm the younger son. And then the other of you might think, well, I wonder if I'm the older son. I don't want you to do that today. I want your attention to go straight to the father. Because the point of, the, of this parable is not the lost sheep, it's not the lost coin, and it's not the lost son. The point of the parable is there is so much rejoicing in heaven when something that belonged to God was lost and then it was found. Amen. I get goosebumps when I think about this. Like, there is rejoicing over one sinner who repents in heaven. Think about that. And in my job, I get to see this all the time where, where the lights go on and I'm sharing truth with somebody. And, and they, they say, I've, I've, I've never told anybody this before. In my job, I get to say this. And this is it's just, I'll tell you something nerdy really quick. It's based on the second half, 1730.9 Alpha. 
God. Someone can tell me something that they've never told anybody before, and I can say, how does it feel to finally be free? You're not going to tell anybody? Yeah. No, 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 no. My ears are graves so you can bury your problems and begin healing. I just want to be like Jesus to you. And so every day, I, 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 I potentially every day I can hear someone say, say something that they that they're struggling with or say something they've done that's illegal and my job allows me to, to listen and just respond with love and then i usually follow up with hey um do you feel judged here at all no no i don't that's right because i got no judgment for you man i got no judgment for you in fact i know that we can be friends now because we're, we're just the same we're just the same so with that i say that to say this that when when I get to see this every day when people experience salvation, when they experience truth. Not only is there rejoicing in my heart when I see people that are finally getting set free, but there's heaven, there's an uproar in heaven. And so this is the passage that we have today, gentlemen. I'm, I, I get so excited about this. Look at 1511, okay? Real quick, 1511. So Jesus, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are the church people. They're, they're on the edge of their seat saying, if he says something wrong, I mean, we got our stones ready. With this, he's already got a reputation. And so watch what Jesus does. Verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Wait a minute. What's, what's going on here? Now, you don't have to turn to this passage, but in Deuteronomy 21, 17, in the law, for a young man to do this to his father is punishable by death. Because what the, what the, what the son is basically saying is this. I'm going to translate it into, into our, our uh, for us today. Dad, you're dead to me. That's what he's saying. You're dead to me. Give me, give me, one, give me what you owe me so I can get out of here. In Deuteronomy, there's things like, if a son is disobedient... If you take him out to the front, to the, to the gates of the city, you stone him to death. I, I saw another meme that said, you're not a true parent until you swatted aimlessly into the backseat of a car. Right? <laughs> For something just minute. Like, I get mad about things that, as a parent that, that have no, they don't matter. Like spilled milk or something like that. Imagine if your son told you, Father, you're dead to me. The father is so reckless in his love here. The, it's just nonsensical. The, the son says, Dad, you're dead to me. And he goes, okay, I'll, 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 give, you, I'll, I'll give you your report. Who does that? Who does that? Well, this father, who is obviously a representation of God the Father. Like, you can disrespect God. He's just going to come back with love. He's going to come back with love. The, the son says, Dad, give me, give, me what, give me what you owe me. And the father divided the property between the young and the old son. And, and I, 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 wrote a, I wrote an article about this. It goes into detail about this thing. But I want you to catch the big picture here. God is like this with his love. Like, you know, you met anybody who's reckless with their money? Maybe on the 1st and the 15th, you just go and you spend it all on whatever. Right? The word reckless means you just, you just spend it. Imagine... That God with his with his money is just like this, boom, boom. But it's love. And he just keeps giving love. He keeps giving love. 
Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's that word right there. You want to know something cool? It's the Greek word asotos, which means extravagantly wasteful. But then again, remember, remember, this passage isn't about a reckless son as it, as it is as, as much a reckless father. So yeah, the son is just like this with his money. And there's a rumor that he bought prostitutes. It doesn't say that in the passage, but the, the older brother blames him of that. But he, I can just get this picture of like, yay, next round's on me. Woohoo! And just like this. But no matter how reckless the son is, the father is more, he beats him with recklessness, with love. He beats him. You'll see in the story. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now, to you and I, we're like, I don't know, I, I read that passage, and I'm like, pigs? Who cares? Big deal. Pigs are yummy. To the Jews, this is deplorable. To the Jews, they don't eat, they don't eat pork. They don't feed pigs. They, they're not going to eat from the same trough as the, this. This guy is at rock bottom. He's at rock bottom. And verse 16, and when he had long, when he had uh, was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Where are your friends now? They were just his friends when he had money. Not when he ran out. But when he came to himself, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. You know, he's still off. He's hit rock bottom, but he's just thinking about food thinking about food. Verse 18, I will rise. Here's this. He's developing his plan now. I will rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In his sin, gentlemen, he's got an identity crisis. See, because you, you are your son. You're a son of your father. And, and, and you all in here and maybe watching online uh, have a last name. And you were born into that family. There's nothing you could ever do to be kicked out of that family. But if you lose your identity, you can start to think you need to earn your place back in the family. I'm, I'm uh, of the theology that once you're in the family of God, you could never get kicked out. In fact, and I think in Jesus' words, no one can snatch him out of no one can snatch us out of his hand. I mean, Jesus has got a, a kung fu grip. Like he, no one, no one's taking what belongs to him. So, I mean, in, in some circles they say that's once saved, always saved. And I know that's there's the debate going back and forth whether or not you can lose your salvation. I'm just saying the word eternal seems to be forever. You know, like Sandlot, forever, forever. So he has, he has an identity crisis, gentlemen. In the in the pits of your sin, you might feel like, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be God's child. I'm, I'm probably not even a believer. And all these thoughts that the enemy likes to just put in your mind and run away. <laughs> You're probably not even saved. Boom. Run away. If you are a son of God, you are a son of God no matter what. But he lost sight of that. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then 20, and then he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I got to give you some background here, some isagogics, some background here, so interpreting this passage in the first century time of the woman was written. So in the first century, a distinguished man would never run, would never run. They don't run. And he and they, they wore sort of like this man dress thing, right? It was like a, a, a robe there, but it wasn't called a man dress. But the fact that he pulled up his garment and started running was like a double shame thing. First of all, he wasn't supposed to be running. Second of all, he exposed his legs. Maybe the father's exposing himself to this shame so that the son wouldn't feel his shame. The father puts it all on the line here. I did some reading about this thing called the Kazaza ceremony. Now, the Kazaza ceremony is if, if, the, if the son did something like this, then the city would gather and wait for this guy to come back and then they held this clay pot, and then when he came, they would they would run and smash it on the ground by his feet, and he would be cut off from the community. And that would he they would be he'd be done. Maybe the father's running, maybe he's running because he knows there's an angry mob that's gonna kill this guy and do the Kazaza ceremony. So who what father wouldn't, man, over my dead body, he just starts running. He starts running towards his son and he says, I'm going to get there before the crowd gets there. I'm going to shame myself by exposing my legs and running so I can get there before anybody else. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 22, but the father said to his servants, <laughs> Look how reckless the father gets. Bring quickly the best robe, the best robe, and then put it on him. I used to be germaphobic, and I still think, man, I probably would have said, hey, take a shower first, man. You smell like pigs. This is reckless, guys. This is how reckless the father is. He basically ruins this, this robe. Who does that? That doesn't make any sense. Come on now, father. Make him take a shower first. Get practical. Why are you wasting stuff? Wasting good material on this guy. Nope, not how God rolls. God doesn't make any sense. He puts the best robe on this guy. And then he put a ring on his hand. And then he put shoes on his feet that probably were, were clean before he put it on him. Do we get the point that God the Father is reckless in his love? When it doesn't make sense, he gives. When it doesn't make sense, he forgives. When it doesn't make sense, he cancels all debts. You know, the most angry people in the world today, the ones that are making the most noise are people who can't, who, who believe they can't forgive. They hold on to bitterness and they think the world owes them something. And so everybody owes them something. You cut me off, you owe me something. You said something about me, you owe me. And they walk around angry. But if we were to be like God the Father, we would say, I'm, I'm, I'm. <clears throat> cancel that debt. You wronged me, I'm going to cancel that debt. You said something about me, I'm going to cancel that debt. If we were like the Father, we would just keep canceling all these debts and say, come here, I forgive you. That doesn't make sense, guys. I know a lot of times, and you might be even thinking in your mind, well, that's nice, Ryan, but like, I'm thinking about right now that this person who did this to me, and, and what should I do? 
Look, I don't know exactly what the situation is, but if we look to Christ, if we look at the story that he's telling here about the love of God the Father, it looks like this is the way to become Christ-like. Okay, verse 23, put the, and then bring the fattened calf and then kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. That's another thing. I mean, kill the fattened calf. Look these things up. There's a lot of history behind this. Why? Verse 24, for that, for this my son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now is found, and they began to celebrate. Okay, real quick. Now, there's another guy in this story. He's the older brother. The older brother was in the field. Why? Because that's what he did. He's working hard. But we find out he's working hard to earn the father's favor. He's a works guy. And he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. Well, why is this guy working? There's a party going on. It looks like we know where his priorities are. When, when the father's throwing a party, you join the party. You don't keep working. 26, and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 28, but he was angry and he refused to go in. You know what anger is? Anger is saying, you owe me. That's anger. You know the antidote to anger? Is forgiveness. Saying, you owe me nothing. Anger says, you owe me. And forgiveness is, and you don't owe me a thing. You don't owe me a thing. He was angry and refused to come in when the father came out and, and treated him. But he answered his father in verse 29. Look at these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate it with my friends. But when this son of yours, he's, he's kicking the son out of the family. When this son of yours came was devoured your property with prostitutes, which the story didn't say that. The son's exaggerating here. You have killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. There's two ways we can go in our lives. So just look at the two brothers here. You can become rebellious and, and get into all sorts of sinful things. Or you can become self-righteous and think you're better than the others. I believe I identify with the older brother. You know, I've, averaged, I've actually never smoked this blows a lot of people away. I've actually never done any any drugs. I have second smoked hand a lot of weed. I've been around a lot of drugs. My junior high, I was offered uh, drugs all the time. In high school, went to a lot of parties. But I, there's just something over. There was something God had this hedge of protection over me. And I'm not saying if you did drugs that you're tainted or whatever. But I'm just saying God had this protection over me. And uh, that started to get in my head. Like that I, and then I went to Bible college, and then I started to think I was better than people, and then and then I started to gain a little bit of knowledge with this thing, and I became a Pharisee. Jesus said there was two men who came to pray, one was a tax collector, and he, he hung his head like the first son. He goes, I'm, I'm not worthy. And then the, the Pharisee was like, thank God I'm not like this idiot right here. I was like that. I think if I were to compare the two, that, that's, that's a far worse sin. I have a heart for recovery. And I tell people, well, you know what? Heroin addiction, meth addiction, that's not as hardcore as what I had. Like, 
Would, would, would you have it? I'm like, I, why would they show it? No, what are you talking about? No, man, I was addicted. I would love theology, but I hated people. It's, it's totally backwards. And who's worse, the person who's shooting up or the person who thinks he's better than the person who's shooting up? And now, they, now he's blind. At least the person who's doing this, they know they're not worthy. He's completely blind. So, so that's this. That's the story here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close that there. We can, and throughout the week we can talk about this passage. You can come here into the chapel. We'll break down uh, how reckless God is in, his, is in His love. But I, but I wanted to end with this. Now you have a little handout, and I, I wrote on here, "Who is God the Father?" Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna do this. Uh, if you're joining us online, you can get in a quiet place. I will. I'll also post this in the show notes, but I want you to, in the quietness of your heart right now, come to a place where you're, you can focus and, and maybe God will give you how you were deceived, how you used to think about God. And then I'm going to read down this list. It's only 11 things, okay? Just, in, just between you and God. And I'm going to ask you to, it's a repeat after me prayer. You can pray silently in your heart or you, you can read this out loud. But on these 11 things, when you come to one and you think, man, that, that is, that one hit me right here. I want you to circle it and, and, and go over these passages tonight, okay? Okay, first of all, you can say this. I renounce the lie that God, my Father, is, number one, distant and uninterested in me. And then I joyfully accept the truth that God, my Father, is intimate and involved. Psalm 139. Two, another lie. I renounce the lie that my Father God is insensitive and uncaring. And I want you to say, I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is kind and compassionate. Number three. Say this, I renounce the lie that my Father God is stern and demanding. And I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is accepting and filled with joy and love. Four, I renounce the lie that my Father God is passive and cold. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is warm and affectionate. Five, I renounce the lie that my Father God is absent or too busy for me. Five, I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is always with me and is eager to be with me. Six, I renounce the lie that my Father God is never satisfied with what I do, he's impatient with me, or he's angry with me. And I joyfully accept the truth that he's patient and slow to anger. Seven, I renounce the lie that my Father God is mean, cruel, or abusive to me. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is loving, gentle, and protective of me. Eight, I renounce the lie that my Father God is trying to take all the fun out of life. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is trustworthy and wants to give me full life. His will is good, perfect, and acceptable. Nine, 
I renounce the lie that my Father God is controlling or manipulative. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is full of grace and mercy, and he gives me freedom to fail. <clears throat> Ten, I renounce the lie that my Father God is condemning or unforgiving. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is tender-hearted and forgiving. His heart and arms are always open to me. Eleven. I renounce the lie that my Father God is nitpicking, exacting, or perfectionistic. Eleven. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is committed to my growth and proud of me as his growing child. I am the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy 32.10 As I uh, call up uh, Pierce and Let's let's end with with this song about uh, the reckless love of God.